You're listening to SequelCast 2 and Friends, a proud part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. Oh yeah, we forget to write them up sometimes, you know. You've got to write them up. It's essential. Can't you get that through your thick skull? How the hell are we supposed to keep track of how many we got left? After the credits roll, there's always more to tell. Especially when the video sales are doing really well. From shock treatment to Jason X to Police Academy 6. This is Sequel Cast. And they are unsurpassed at following a franchise until the better end. This is Sequel Cast. And your hosts have asked that I inform you that the show will now begin. Hello and welcome to Sequel Cast 2, part of the Sequel Cast 2 and Friends Network. I'm Matt Bradley Shergy. We are looking at Day of the Dead, a uh, 1985 film, third in Romero's Sextet of the Dead trilogy, released in 1985. With me is Thrasher. Well, maybe if we tried working together, we could ease some of these tensions. And Alex. Hello, coming at you from the creepy radio bunker. Yes. And... um, yeah, we were, you know, this marks like the halfway point, more or less, of Romero's Day of the Dead trilogy. And, and for a while, people thought this was the last one for good. It was quite the gap between this one in 85 and Land of the Dead in, oh, was that like 2000 or something? Hmm. Yeah. 2005, yeah. I mean, so that was a 20-year gap. And with this movie, we officially had a trilogy. Yeah, yeah, and, and it's been a few years between um, Dawn of the Dead too. Correct. Um, yeah, I do want to reiterate to listeners: we are doing just the Romero movies. At a later point, we might do like remakes or sequels. Uh, the rights to Day of the Dead, in particular, are quite odd because you have a lot of made-for-Sci-Fi Channel uh, direct-to-video Day of the Dead, uh, either remakes or sequels. Yeah, I guess I guess it exists in the same weird copyright space as the original Night of the Living Dead. <laughs> True, and I mean, if you really think about it, how many places say "of the Living Dead" in the title or "of the Dead"? Hundreds, especially after the first two movies, too. You know. Yeah, and I've heard some are quite good, like "Juan of the Dead." I've heard is a good yeah. show, a Cuban thing. Uh, and all of that, but as as the poster says, first there is Night of the Living Dead, then Dawn of the Dead, and now the darkest day of horror the world has ever known. Uh, and it is dark because it's filmed mostly like in a cave or a mining facility or something in, in Pennsylvania. Um, yeah, Day of the Dead. People have opinions on this. I saw you, Alex, talking to a friend of the show, Matt Curione, who we had way back oh, yeah. on the Godfather Three episode. Yeah, that's uh, that's uh, sequel cast lore at this point. I think um, so. <laughs> yeah, there's um, you know, after watching uh, Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead, you know, naturally rented this one, and um, yeah, at first it initially didn't live up to you know the the grandeur of of, of Dawn of the Dead, and then more and more over the years, I, I like it more and more as I see it, and uh, rewatching it last night in preparation for this episode. I saw a lot more that I hadn't seen in the past, mm-hmm. and I think I have a much more reevaluated um, and much more positive opinion of the film. I had a positive opinion to begin with, but now it's even more positive. Thrasher, when did you first see this one? All right, so I thought I had never seen this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I guess that's uh, until until this recording. 
And I guess it turns out it's half right because I kept remembering all these. It, it was like every every 15 minutes I would remember a scene or have no memory of the scene. And then it occurred to me why that was. Um, so the first the first time I saw this would have been uh, probably in uh, 2003. Uh, I was dating a woman. This was her absolute favorite movie. We kept having sex in the middle of the movie. <laughs> um, it sounds like that was a bit of a kink, right? <laughs> Maybe. Well, not, looking back on it, perhaps it was. Maybe there 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 was something in this movie that, that that got her bubbles going, but yeah, that that's what that's what happened. About every fifteen minutes, we ended up having sex. So so it's not so. Uh, I, I have to ask: Was this in the day of DVD or VHS? Uh, this well, this was this was the day of DVD. I did have VHSs, but I think we were watching a DVD uh, that had recently been issued. So were they, yeah, so it wasn't like the same scene was looping over and over again while uh, your uh, pleasantries were going on? No, it was just, it was just playing in the, some, it would alternate between playing in the background and playing in the foreground. <laughs> I'm reminded of this Twitter conversation that I was part of recently where someone said, what's the, like, what's the looping DVD menu uh, sound you lost your virginity to, which is a very specific <laughs> question, but um and I can't remember if mine had a DVD in the background or not, but certainly I think people of a certain age, of the DVD age, <laughs> uh, it, and if they're old enough, you know, has had that sort of experience, I imagine. I uh, I think I had Lord of the Rings or something on, and that music looping, as good as it is, um, feels kind of silly. So, <laughs> uh, speaking of like DVD, DVD menus, this is another thing that happened in college. And they had a VHS bootleg that was taken from a uh, Japanese uh, DVD release. And apparently when they were when the bootleg was recorded, they just left the DVD running. Uh, and this happened. I found out this actually happened to multiple people who this this tape was lent to. So, you know, the movie plays the credits play. And then, like a DVD logo comes, a production company logo comes up and just kind of stays there. And then after like three minutes, just when you're lulled into a false sense of security, it goes to a recording of the DVD menu, which is this extreme close-up of an eye with this weird buzzing sound on it. So like, so, so it, it happened to me, it happened to everyone else that I know this tape was lent to. They go off to do something else. And then that comes up and it's just this weird, terrifying moment where this giant eyeball starts staring at you out of the TV. It's a real Cronenberg moment, a real new flesh moment. Yeah, oh, that's terrifying. One last thing, and then I promise dear listeners we'll go back to Day of the Dead. Um, when, shortly after I moved to Portland, Oregon and eventually moved in my own apartment, you know, didn't have a roommate my first time, uh, I guess, living on my own where it wasn't a dorm or something, a, a big moment in any person's life, I had Netflix and I had rented... Uh, Shock Treatment, I think it finally come out on DVD in 2006. Did it have you jump on like a real live wire? Um, yeah, ooh, Shock Treatment. And I was bitching in the kitchen the whole time I was watching it. And uh, the it had a commentary by some like super fans or, or something. But um, it, it's a, a bug that was never fixed. The first 10 minutes of the commentary, I guess, weren't recorded. So I had my speakers like turned up going, like, can I not hear it? What's happening? And then as the commentary came in, it almost blew my speakers out. Oh. <laughs> Uh, 
Actually, I take that back. It's not the audio commentary. It's the 5.1 sound mix made for that DVD. Oh. And that it's at a very low volume. It's like at a very low volume until after uh, Denton USA. And it gets really loud. It, it's a, a shame they never fixed it, but that's a pretty obscure movie. And it's not Day of the Dead. So uh, <laughs> let's talk about... Yeah, the first time I saw this was a few years ago. George, I'm kind of ashamed about this, but George A. Romero had just died. And I was like, gee, I better pick up his DVDs used before the prices go up. And this is back before they closed all the local DVD stores. So I um, made some phone calls and, and got a good deal on these things. And yeah, it's I, I I really liked it the first time I saw it. And I really like it now, I think, with the, with the quarantine and COVID-19 going on as of this recording uh, in, in June 2020. I can relate to the cabin fever aspect and people just losing it for no reason at all. Like it, it's doing weird things with how I perceive time. Um, it, yeah, I mean, this is a, a historic moment for better or worse than we're living through, but I felt related a bit more to the characters. And uh, on the other hand, this movie kind of feels cheap. I don't know. Like you had the mall in, in Dawn of the Dead and which had kind of a scope and, and right. satire and comedy. And this is sort of like a, I don't know, like army men versus like construction workers and scientists in a bunker. Yeah. There's, um, I remember the, someone asked me once, cause like, uh, when I was in college, people were like, ah, you have a question, ask Alex, he's the movie guy. And they're like, well, you know, Night of the Living Dead is like, you know, the racial allegory, uh, Dawn of the Dead's a consumerist allegory. They're like, what's Day of the Dead? And I remember in an, in an interview, George Ramirez, like, it's the hell bottom of huh. world okay. post dead. Like, this is when, this is like when things get worse than bad, when the military's gone and people are just squabbling at each other and mm -hmm. you know you can tell this feeling like in the opening shots of like in florida which is some great work um you know you can tell the the zombies even look a little more haggard like things are more desolate there's barely you know there's nothing going on there's freaking crocodiles walking out of banks and stuff and um you can even tell throughout the food uh the movie the like food's running low they're like you know mm -hmm. eating military issue canned meat and stuff like that and um I think it's like once the like I think it's a bunch of a commentary on you know the military industrial complex and just the nastiness of of people. It's a nasty film. It's much more uh, misanthropic yeah. and unpleasant. Dark. Yes, it's definitely dark. Um, in the first uh, the the stuff in Florida is great, and then it's funny because you get like deja vu from Dawn of the Dead. Like you get a helicopter and like you know. A few different people but you know it's this isn't you know uh roger and francine not roger but uh francine and ken for you know what i mean from mm. from don it's a much different thing um but yeah it's, it's an interesting path to take and it's one that i think put a lot of people off initially when it came out yeah well, you, you talk about about it looking cheap there there are this Watching this, I had so many moments where I was thinking of Redneck Zombies, which was one of the first horror movies shot entirely uh, on video. And it's it's one of those things where there's certain things look realer than real on video. And sometimes they look too real, and sometimes that can backfire. But something I, I realized watching this, I think I prefer the look of cheap zombies to expensive zombies. I mean, how many times have we watched a horror movie that's, or a zombie movie that there's no scares or tension at all? And that's in part because the zombies are so over-designed and impractical 
in the in the way they look that there's like there's like nothing to grasp onto. But these zombies, almost all of them are just a person with some green paint on their face. Maybe there'll be some pustules added. Maybe there'll be some hillbilly teeth, some real cheap hillbilly teeth added yeah. in. But it it works. It's like it it reads. And something else I noticed, um, I'll, uh, in in uh, Return of the Living Dead. Uh, a very deliberate choice was made to have four hero zombies, four zombies that were very unique, behaved mm. in unique ways, and were sort of the avatars for the rest of the horde. Uh, in this movie, every zombie is unique. There's no zombie wearing whatever torn clothes came out of wardrobe. Every single zombie looks like they died in the middle of doing something. There was a zombie yeah. bride. There was yep. a zombie that has one of those hair dryer nets on. Like she she turned into a zombie in the middle of a salon. There's yeah, a crossing guard zombie. zombie. <laughs> yeah, crossing guard zombie. Police zombie. Housewife zombie. Like every single zo- zombie, they were a person doing a normal thing, and then they got bit. And I absolutely love that. Every little zombie... Like, you know when that person's story ended by looking at what that made them matter so much more. Yeah, I, mean, I think yeah. that... Um... Hmm. Oops, sorry, you go. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, so, I mean, originally, I, I didn't really know this, but, but doing some research, apparently Romero originally did a 200-page script. He wanted it to be uh, the Gone with the Wind of zombie films, and then he had to scale things way back as the budget kept wow. getting... Slash and and part of what I like about this film is you have a smaller scope, uh, kind of more like Night of the Living Dead, really, is what this one feels more like than than Dawn of the Dead did, and that you have people where you're you're sort of trapped in an area, you don't have a whole lot of space to move around in, and it's more it's kind of a running theme in the series, I guess, is that you know man is man's worst enemy, like the zombies you kind of feel sorry for in a way. And frankly, right. I'd never find zombies scary. Yeah, and like I think the thing that they establish really quickly with this movie is that you don't have to wonder for a second who's the real monster here. It's pretty <laughs> immediate that it's man is the is the monster here. And um, I think the thing is like the contrast jumping from Don to this. Well, it's not a jump. It's like you know eight nine years later, but. Um, <laughs> Is that uh the the setting is it's very dry. It's a very bare bunker. Mm-hmm. It's very cold and it's very unpleasant. And I guess it was very unpleasant for the shoot. There was a lot of like musk and it was hard to heat and it was really cold all the time. Um, and it really reinforces what an unpleasant experience this is. Like, you know, there's moments in Dawn where you're like they have like a, almost a quasi utopian existence for a little while. And then with this, it's just like you can tell no one's having a good time. But um. I think this one, this is one of the Romero movies where I feel like I think this has the best, not only just the best makeup, but the best zombie acting with the extras and the, um, with uh, Bub especially, the um, the Dr. Zombie basically, uh, played by Sherman Howard. So we talked about like the, the, the scope of the movie. So the interior shots were filmed uh, in a mine shaft uh, around somewhere near uh, Wampum, Pennsylvania. Mm. And like clearly this is a huge like complex like m- minds can get real sprawling and something that i i really sort of came came to love uh is that they're they're in this huge place the movie very deliberately 
doesn't give you a sense of the geography of this subterranean complex. And I think that is to make it feel more claustrophobic because in any given scene, Mm -hmm. you really don't know the way out or, you know, there's one way out. And that's something that keeps, keeps coming back. We, we don't really, and, and, and so, and it also plays with our perception of time, which is, is something that is definitely on people's mind. They spend all their time underground with no differentiation between night and day. Yeah. And the movie reinforces that by never quite letting us know how long it takes to get from one place to another. And so right. we don't know what time it is once we get underground. We are mm. completely thrown off. Yeah, this whole no movie box, no could take place in... This whole movie could take place in one day, or it could take place over months. We have no idea. Well, I sure. guess we do because of the calendar at the beginning calendar, and the calendar yeah, at the yeah. end. But until yeah. we see those calendars, although that first calendar was a dream, that might not be an accurate calendar. True. Because if you'll notice, the calendar in the opening shot, it just says October. It has no actual dates on it. And I don't think you see her cross anything off. I think she No, it's completely there. full. Yeah, it's, it's full. full. So it could just be like last year's calendar that she's using for reference. Um, and that opening scene, what do you guys think of that opening jump scare there? It was effective. I absolutely did not see that coming. That looked like a real painted cinder block wall. But yeah, yeah. it's just Sarah looking at this this October calendar with these beautiful pictures of pumpkins. And the way she looks at the picture, you can tell she hasn't seen a pumpkin patch or just life on the surface in a long right. time. And she gets real close to the calendar to lament it, and then all these zombie hands come through the wall, and it's just, and then you, it cuts away real quick, and we see her wake up. Yeah, it's a it's a great gag. It's like a, it's like Jean Cocteau meets like repulsion almost. You know, it's um, it's a great gag, and I guess one of the um, Tom Savini was saying he would show it in one of his classes, and he's like, you know, someone re- reaches out and, and grabs one of her boobs and she's like that was my husband <laughs> I, I told I him no, so. <laughs> i i did not notice that that's yeah, i'll I have no to idea. i'll have to I'll watch that opening scene again no um and along those lines i think you know with with the characters in this film laurie cardill as dr bowman uh is great i'm reminded of sigourney weaver as ripley in uh, aliens the second alien film in particular just like yeah. tough as nails doesn't take any shit uh this was a pretty progressive character uh, at the time this was released, and and really, um, Romero in in these films is good about having a cast with with uh, not just white people in it, with people of color in it, uh, and and it just really is. Uh, this is a series, right? And I we, we might have talked about this on the Night of the Living Dead episode, where continuity really doesn't matter, and in a way, I think that's kind of refreshing. Like it, it's all about the zombie outbreak is happening, but. And I'm sure you can look online and find timelines of when each movie is supposed to take place. But it, you do not have, with the exception of survival of the dead, you don't have continuing characters from one film to another. Things are referenced obliquely. The backstory is referenced maybe in the background on televisions or in radio broadcast. So uh, right. it. Like, I think the only continuity here is that with Day of the Dead, it's just that, like, this has been going on for longer than it had been perhaps in Dawn or Night of the Living Dead. I think that's really it. Well, like, like, just like Night of the Living Dead to Dawn of the Living Dead, this this could take place concurrently with Dawn of the Dead, right? Well, yeah, and a little bit know. after. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So, Thrasher, I have to ask because you, you tend to know about this stuff. Was there a porno version called Dawn of the Dead? D O N G. I I would not be surprised, quite frankly. Okay. 
Um, if you Google that, kids, please put on safe search. Okay, what the hell? I'll just look. <laughs> Thank you. Um, uh, I'll just get I'll get this out of the way. My keyboard's a mechanical keyboard, so it's a bit loud. Uh, <laughs> okay, so it looks like it looks like it's act. Oh, there's multiple things called Dawn of the Dead. <laughs> one of them. So one of them. The credited cast includes two people credited as French maids, so I'm going to assume that's the porno version. The other one looks like a parody, an actual parody, not a porno parody that uses the language of a porno parody. Um, yeah, it's a comedy short by Nicholas Westbridge. Uh, but the only the, the only real direct connection, and it's only just... helicopter pilot just says the shopping malls are all closed yes i remember that i thought that was funny hey hey thrasher um your your audio has dropped out a few times can you turn off your video oh certainly that might help um uh, did you notice that too alex or was just me on my end yeah i wasn't sure if it was um okay i wasn't yeah. sure the first time thanks sorry oh, about that thrasher but oh, uh, no problem okay um yeah, with this movie, uh, out of the performances, um, I mentioned Laurie Cardell in the lead, but I really like Joseph Pilato's performance as Captain Rhodes, who's just a gigantic asshole. Yeah, and... Um, and and all, another... these, all these actors are not, like, really famous actors, which makes you believe in the story. If you had a, I don't know, Terrence Stamp or, or someone in, in this, right. it would pull you right out of it. And I think that's another thing that uh, George Romero is so good at is just kind of like low key casting. He wants to get some, you know, it's usually he just wants to work with some Pittsburgh guys and gal, you know, yeah. men and women and just, you know, make a make a low key movie. Because he always said that if you put stars in it, you're going to have expectations. You know, if you put Harrison Ford in it, you know, he's probably going to live to the end or something like that. Mm. Um, and uh, let's face it, the star of the movie is the is, is Tom Savini. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. Um, and, oh, and these effects said, are great. Yeah, yeah, we were talking about that earlier, Alex. The uh, the effects are are a plus in my book. I mean, I think it's the goriest of the of the movies we've seen so far. Definitely. And it's still you're doing practical effects. You're not, uh, you know, if someone gets shot, you have to do a squib and set it off. You don't do a CG version. And I, I'm not yeah. bashing CG. I think that that technology has gotten much better, and it makes it easier to shoot if you can just put a CG squib in there. True. Uh, faster yeah. to shoot. But I but just uh, you appreciate yeah. this so much more. Uh, agreed. It's just really cool, and well, just, um, just seeing just you're know, seeing people getting torn apart and just sacks of organs, yeah. differentiated organs falling out of them. It's so it's so rare. It's so rare to see that, and it's so rare to see that done well. You had it uh, and I, a I little really bit in. It. Yeah, it was done a little bit in that famous Night of the Living Dead sequence where you get that wide shot at the outside and the zombies are all feasting on things. But this, I mean, it just really goes up and in there. It almost feels like a medical film at some point. Uh, the documentary I, I, I saw, uh, I think I have like the two-disc Anchor Bay DVD or whatever whatever the special version was. might have been Divimax. I can't quite remember. Yeah. Um, a long Anchor time Bay ago. had a lot of horror back then. Could've, yeah, it could have been Anchor Bay. Uh, but, uh, but anywho, um, you go and... Like like they were using like guts and entrails of different animals, and uh, if you've ever been around that kind of stuff, it starts to stink after a while. In movie oh, sets yeah. with hot lights on that stuff, like the actor, oh, yeah. like 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 Joe Pilato was vomiting quite a lot on set, and like yeah. the cast was just they're like the directors are like laughing and stuff, but like the crew is vomiting too. Like it's 
Well, there, yeah, there was a story behind that where they, um, someone like left the freezer unplugged and like for like oh, a month. Oh, that's right. And it was, he just said it was just like knock you unconscious, disgusting. Like yeah. he's like, to this day, I can still smell it. Like I can only imagine it's oh, horrid. Like, it's oh. traumatizing. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Poor guy. Um, and the thing is like, uh, I feel like with the, the really, it's, you know, it's a very bland setting and you get the military, you know, set up and, um, and uh, Joe Polito, he's a terrific um, asshole, and he plays it big. That's what I like. Yes. Is that he's mm-hmm. he's, almost, he's not over the top, but he's playing it big, and I like that because I mean, while I'm not rooting for him, but it's like when you're in a desperate situation, like shit. Even in my experiences, like being a chef or a restaurant manager, like there are some weekends where I was a, probably a monster or just from the stress. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I could probably see that being in the situation of the Living Dead, and you know, being locked in a bunker, you're probably going fucking bananas um well he's this it's this perfect barking dog of a character he's just trying to keep everyone around him intimidated and that just means he's always on this heightened screaming level at all times at all times exactly yeah it's um it's a and you can tell that he's like it's not um earned leadership is inherited because someone before him had just passed away yeah right and uh Anyone else think uh, you see this guy near the very beginning? He's one of Rhodes's guys. He looks just like Stanley Kubrick. Yes, the, <laughs> yes, the he big, looks like a little Kubrick, like a pint-sized yeah, big guy with a beard. Uh, I yeah. mean, not yeah, he's, he's shorter, but it. I was just kind of stunned. I'm like, is that a Stanley Kubrick cameo? That would be so cool. I know, right? <laughs> well, there is the George Romero cameo. There's a zombie with a scarf that was apparently him. Ooh. Yeah, he's got a credit. It's literally a zombie with a scarf. I think. Uh, correct. Uh, awesome. Yeah. Uh, and you know, to, to get, even though this was like the third film in the series and, and of course, Night of the Living Dead, not the first zombie film, you had things like white zombie and, and so forth, but the one, one of the ones to really make it stick in, in pop culture, uh, in the West in particular, uh, there's zombie films all over the place. He had zombie nuts is the point I'm trying to make. And so you could like, they had so many extras, they had to turn people down. I mean, they, you only got paid a dollar to work <laughs> days and days on this. Yeah. Yeah, and You're maybe they got a like government maybe hours. they got a government cheese sandwich or something. Right. If they're yeah. lucky or water. Like I'm sure people might have been passing out in the I mean, you breathe I've never been in a coal mine, but I've been spelunking once and spent the night in a cave. And uh I have asthmatic issues anyway. I can't recommend it. It's like that was bad enough to do it like on a film set. Like yeah. I don't know if that mine had asbestos or whatever, even though it's concrete. Who knows? Yeah, back like there had to like... have you ever been in a mine thrasher? Uh, yes, yes, I have been. And like a lot, a lot of mining processes, I don't know, it might be more strip mining. I'm not sure if it's, if it's like deep subterranean mining that does this, but like a lot of mining processes will create a lot of cyanide and other, and other hazardous chemicals like that. Mm. So it can vary. It can be an un, like in, 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 and that just dust in the air, it can be a very unhealthy environment. And the, again, this kind of, not trying to tie everything to COVID all the time, but I can't help but think about it. But like sure. wearing a, you're supposed to be wearing a mask in, in those mines. And oh yeah, even, even then, you know, you're working in uh, from things I've researched. You're working in a mine. The guys that are lifers that do it, like it ends their life shorter than it would be otherwise. They develop oh, all these problems. They don't always wear the mask they're supposed to, and sort of more importantly, the masks are not cleaned or maintained, so the filters don't hold their thing. I mean, it's. It's all pretty nasty, but that what that has to do, I guess, with the the movie is just it, it has the real cabin fever 
feel to it. And and you do have a main zombie in Bub, played by Sherman Howard, and some of the that sort of Frankenstein, uh, mad scientist uh, subplot with him and uh, Doctor Logan, played by uh, Sherman Howard and Richard Liberty, respectively. Yeah, I think um, there you go. Yeah. Well, this this is something that I'm so. Again, this is rarely done in zombie movies, and this is probably the best I've seen it done. Uh, now that the zombies have been around long enough, people are finally looking at the problem scientifically. And like, we still don't know what causes it. There's a suggestion that it might be an infection. Uh, as, as we see in the amputation scene where the person who gets bit has their arm cut off. But we really still don't know. But I love that this uh, this Dr. Matthew Frankenstein, Logan, it has this delightfully dispassionate scientific approach to figuring out what ma- makes the zombies work. And, you know, like I've, I've narrowed it down. It's this part of the reptilian hindbrain. It's the only part that really works, but it's where all the instincts come from. And, and every discovery he makes, he is so delighted with the discovery. Um, and something that I noticed, like the, his, his performance, Richard Liberty's performance, it is almost identical to the, the performance of Dr. Phlox from Star Trek Enterprise. I don't know if you all noticed that. I'm not really familiar with Star Trek Enterprise. Where, okay. where he speaks like this. Oh, and he's, oh, what a wonderful discovery. Look, look, Captain, look what we mm. found. Like, it's it's a very similar kind of energy between those two characters. Like, Although, uh, all... you can tell. Oh, yeah, like, you can tell this guy loves his work. Like, he's, <laughs> a, he's, a, he's the only one enjoying this. He is just so intrigued with the pursuit of, of you know, trying to figure this out and um it's very endearing yeah and i love (laughs) the way he dispatches his zombies when they get out of control with the with the drill he just kind of goes like you know like it's the most economic and efficient way to put it down you know and this big geyser of blood coming out of the the head is it's great and what the other other thing about him is that he is so sort of likable and sympathetic but then he gets like he never gets weirder and weirder, but the more you find out about his off-the-books experiments, the more disturbed you are by him. Oh, yeah. You, like, you can you can understand, like, the childish glee in which his curiosity gets him to work more, but then, like, when you go further down the rabbit hole, you're kind of like, oh, yeah, this guy's a little, little getting a little Mengele vibe from him, you know what I mean? And like, and it, and and they set you up for it in the beginning because when they first return to the facility, they notice there's a new grave, and that's where they find out that the old command. And then a little later, you find out that Frankenstein has the old commander's body and he's experimenting on it by doing brain surgery on it and that it was just a decoy body that was buried in the grave implied that he must have been pretty mangled if nobody could tell the difference but then like (laughs) later you know he's got that tank with what looks like a zombie fetus in it he's got that weird recording hold on he's like talking about his mother uh, you just got cut off a whole bunch there thrasher alex let's you and i turn off our video to improve this bandwidth a little bit Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh, that's he a, says that's I cut right. you off, but just fascinated by by his off the books experiments, the zombie fetus he has, uh, the uh, the severed heads with the electrodes going into him, the recording of him seemingly having an argument with his mother. Oh, really disturbing. Yeah, 
And it also, like, um, in the early scene where they have the kind of, like, the throwdown argument in the bunker, he's late like, by, like, a wide margin, you know? Mm. And you can just tell that, like, time just kind of gets lost for him when he's, when he's in his laboratory doing his thing, you know what I mean? Like, he's, he's like, a half hour late. He doesn't give a shit, you know? He's like, is there any food? Oh, I'm, you know? <laughs> and it's, it's great. He's such a colorful character and I think very necessary to the film. We, we need to talk about Bub. Yeah, we do. I I was just gonna bring up Bub too. I think it's you're you're humanizing a zombie as it were, and trying to make it intelligent. I guess presumably to what for military purposes is what you'd use the zombies for. Well, well, what a premise that that uh, Doctor Logan introduces very early is that there's too many zombies. There's so many zombies. It would be impractical to just shoot them all in the head. You'd never have enough ammunition. You'd never have enough time. So his solution is to find a way to control them, to find a way to make them not want to eat. And that's what a lot of the, the brain surgery and things he's doing is. And there's this one zombie bub who's pretty intact, in uh, who's strange enough is named. It's, it's he's named bub. Cause that was his father's nickname. Yeah. Uh, the wealthy surgeon. Uh, but the, yeah, you know, I think about it. Dr. Frankenstein uh, wrote, Dr. Frankenstein, um, Logan has a lot of family tension. Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, it's and Bub is a zombie who does not appear to have any desire. Like, he, he does eat flesh. It's given to him as a reward, but he doesn't want to eat any of the scientists. He, he will stand around. He won't struggle against his bonds. When he's presented with tools, he will sort of ape what a living person would do with those tools. And like there, there is a real implication that the zombies do on some level have a consciousness, even if it is very rudimentary and animal. Um, and it's never really explained why Bub specifically acts the way he does. Uh, his head is intact. So clearly brain surgery hasn't been done on him. I can only assume that He's a zombie that's been around the living long enough that he's kind of gotten socialized. Mimicry. Right. And like it is, like they're saying the Dawn of the Dead, it's like they can, you know, there's a little bit of, of of dust in there that kind of is from their living life. Like, you know, he hands them the, you know, the tape recorder and he hits play and, uh, you know, he picks up a op- uh, telephone because, you know, when you're alive, you pick up phones and you play tapes and all this other stuff. Um and also, like, I just wonder, like, maybe he was a vegetarian. And maybe that's why he doesn't want to eat anybody. <laughs> yeah, we don't really know anything about his background, but right. there is an implication when, when he sort of by instinct salutes uh, Captain Rhodes, there's the implication <laughs> that he must have had some military service. And that's this ingrained thing. But, no, it, it is fascinating seeing him be the quote-unquote intelligent zombie, seeing him learn or remember how to use different tools. And... and, and you feel a certain level of sympathy for him. Yeah, he doesn't get riled up like when people are around, you know. Everyone says, like, he doesn't look at me like lunch. Um, and it's a, it's a terrific mime performance from uh, Sherman Howard. Uh, it's, it's wonderful. Um, George Romero, we even went as far as to say that he rivals uh, Boris Karloff's uh, Frankenstein monster. Um, I don't know if I'd go that far, but it's a terrific performance. It, it is, and, and then at, at the end, we as we're, we need to sort of wrap this up, but um, I mean, we could talk about this movie all day. There's a lot of meat to chew on, no pun intended. But <laughs> you go and uh, Bub finds his uh, doctor 
Frankenstein, his his creator, basically killed, and he gets mad, and he has a gun, and that's like a real oh shit moment. Not to mention right. all the zombies breaching the gate when the the PTSD uh, afflicted boyfriend of of the lead just basically decides to kill himself uh, in a way. Um, at the end, where everything just goes nuts, like that really ratchets things up. I I could see people at the time maybe thinking, well, this movie's a bit slow and. It's more yeah. human drama. I mean, much like the original, I could see this as a stage play working quite well. Right, and like, um, it takes a little bit of patience for the first mm. act, I feel like, because you're, you're, it's, it's, it doesn't really follow any formal structure. It's got its own trajectory, and um, you know, it, it, it's so the first act. Uh, it takes a little bit of patience to get there, but once we ramp up, it, you, you really solidifies the rest of the film. It really does work to pay off. Um, and then, of course, you know, we're opening up the floodgates to a slew of terrific, you know, <laughs> zombie deaths and makeup and exploding heads and innards and so forth. Welcome to Casual Magic, the show where we explore the fun side of Magic the Gathering. I'm your host, Shivam Putt, and each week we delve into everything from casual format to explorations of creatures and card types to interviews with designers of the game. At Casual Magic, we believe that it just isn't magic without the gathering. Come along and play! Hey folks, it's Asif Khan, CEO and Editor-in-Chief over at ShackNews.com. Give a listen to our 9 to 5 Elon podcast about Tesla and electric vehicles and all sorts of cool stuff over there on the Greenlit Podcast Network. Oh god, yeah, and it's 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 so it's so great when 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 Captain Rhodes, thanks to Bub, realizes that the zombies are shooting back now. And yeah. and, and you know, Bub is going after him to get revenge and I just love that bit when Rhodes finally does get overwhelmed by the zombies and they're tearing him apart. And even as he's being torn apart, he's just as I'm being a macho asshole, just this look of rage on his face. You choke on it. You, you choke oh, on yeah. it. He's an asshole right to the bitter end. Um, it's a, it's a good, it's a great performance too from, uh, yeah. And so, mm-hmm. and so like the actual, so when it, it, when it comes down to it, it's just, uh, it's just John, the pilot, Sarah and uh, and uh, uh, Bill, the radio operator, the the uh, Irish uh, radio operator, they they manage to get back to the helicopter, which they're hoping is fueled up and the zombies are coming through. They're getting all surrounded. And then it just hard cuts to Sarah waking up on a on a beach with them. Uh, and she's got her calendar and she's marking off dates of November and their actual dates on the calendar. So. One, so the two questions I want to put to you is, uh, one, I kind of felt that was a ch- a cheap fake-out, having it um, just wake up on the island. But then again, by using that whole, it's all a dream wake-up, do you think do you think there is any chance whatsoever that the implication is they died and this is them in the good afterlife? Um... Hmm. I don't know. It almost reminds me of, I feel like uh, I, my girlfriend pointed out last night that it kind of actually um, feels like it was an inspiration for Danny Boyle's 28 Days Later. Hmm. Where towards the end, you know, then they wait, he wakes up and you know, they got this, like, you know, the idea like, like you know, freaking English moors or isles or whatever, you know. Um, it almost felt like that. And, um, and when they're talking about, like, the human race and stuff, this might be a stretch, but the dates on the calendar, maybe she's marking where she's ovulating. I don't know. It could be um, a weird thing with emphasis on the calendar. Or maybe it's just a way to keep track of time. I don't know. But, um, yeah, the ending's weird. I forgot about it. And, you know, it, the arms, too, also feels like another callback to the beginning. And um, 
Yeah, I thought it was. I, I thought the ending was good. It was. Um, it does come out of left field a little bit, though. I, I don't like it as much. I think it's a bit cheesy. Uh, it. Yeah. Well, what I, does I, it for me is that the cut is so hard and fast, yeah. and happens right when there should be a fuck all last desperate escape sequence. It feels like they ran out of money and just said fuck it, cut to the beach scene. Right. <laughs> they probably did. Uh, one one quick bit of trivia. Do you know the connection of this movie to Dune? No. Okay, the music is by John Harrison, who later wrote and directed the Sci-Fi Channel miniseries of Dune, and he wrote the Children of Dune miniseries. Interesting. Ah. So... Oh, speaking of the music, I think it's really good, effective music. That mm-hmm. whole dun 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 that that sort of synth thing from the beginning is very iconic. But did did you catch that when Bub is first introduced and and Bub is sort of left alone for the night uh, in his cell, they use the Mall Muzak music, but it's done as like a weird. It's almost done as a comedy sting. It's the strangest reference, but I do appreciate it. I do appreciate it, too, yeah. yeah. It is a nice nod. Uh, I give a definite sequel yes to Day of the Dead. I prefer this to Dawn of the Dead. It, uh, oh, wow. just, it It's just a lot more savage, a lot more dark. It it reminds me more of the first film, which I really, really like. And uh, it I take away something different each time I watch it, which I think is a, the ultimate sign of a, of a good movie, one that sticks to the ribs, uh, bleeding though they may be with intestines spilling out of them. <laughs> Alex. Oh uh, yeah, definite sequel, yes. And um, my opinion of this film just continues to grow. And like you said, I think that's a definite testament to um, George Romero as a as a director. And um, yeah, definite sequel, yes. And it, it's the film is uh, more and more rewarding the more you watch it. So it, it merits many rewatches because you'll you will pick up something new every time. Definite sequel, yes. The series keeps getting better and better. Uh, and a one a fun bit of trivia. So on Gorillas, their first album, Gorillas, the last track is M1A1, which uses an extensive sample from the opening of this film. The whole song is laid over that dun 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 that is used in the soundtrack at the beginning, but all the dialogue of hello. Hello, is there anyone there? They play that whole thing as the intro to the song. It's a wonderful haunting piece. That's what that's from. Okay, I was. It was like there was a little like you know trigger went off in my brain. I was like, I've heard this outside of this movie. It's driving me crazy. <laughs> yeah, M One A One by Gorillaz definitely worth listening to, especially if yeah, you're a fan of a, this movie. Yeah, that's a good album. Yeah, very nice. Um, all right, so. Let's move on to pitch a sequel. The uh, the idea I had was you got all these zombies. You've been in a mine shaft, been in the mall, been in a house kind of in the country. Where do you go from there? I would uh, call mine uh, George A. Romero's Graveyard of the Dead. I would say Romero, you know, was running needed kind of a boost in, in his career, needed the money, so he did a fourth movie on the cheap again in the early 90s, let's say, uh, maybe after Monkey Shines or something. And he goes, and there's a graveyard. And in the the cast is just people that work at the graveyard. You have a manager of the graveyard. You have the maintenance person. You have moratorium people 
that that go and deliver help deliver the bodies and meanwhile there's a a group of uh kind of like goth teenagers i think it would be sexy to sleep overnight in a graveyard and (laughs) as they do that the the zombies have have other ideas and and you would have uh, some zombies that are really fresh some that are decomposed and, and you learn that even zombies need some kind of rest, even though they're the living dead. And so they go back to their original, uh, if they're zombies with graves, they go back to their grave sites to sleep and recover. So that would be my sort of twist on it. It would be called Graveyard of the Dead. Spoopy. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Thrasher. So I'm going to do Tide of the Dead. So I'm also going to not carry over any characters, as fun as it would be to see everything go to hell on that island. Um, So Tide of the Dead, it's going to be set on a boat. Not like too big a boat, kind of one of those like booze cruise size boats. You know, you go out out on the sound for for a day and come back. It's one of those kinds of boats. But a a disparate group of survivors are on it, a real cross-section of uh, of America uh, taken from a coastal town. And the short of it is, you know, they're on a boat. The zombies don't swim. Like, they they are, technically speaking, 100% safe, except their food, water, and fuel is running out. And so that's, like, the, that's the big tension. They know they're going to have to go ashore to stock up on these supplies, or else they're all just going to die at sea. The problem is the coastal cities are getting more and more taken over by zombies. And that's going to be the real, like the real threat. We're always going to see their view of the coast. Every time they get to the coast, zombies start amassing and there's just crowds of the dead, like on beaches, just waiting for this boat to come, to come to shore. Um, It's like really like they really can just know that there's living people in that floating object. And that's what they want. Uh, And, and that's, and then that's, uh, what it comes down to, but to really drive home the point that it's the living that are the real threat, the real evil, uh, it's the dead who are just working on instinct. Um, one person stopgap solution is, Hey, fewer mouths to feed technically more food and water. So someone on the boat starts killing other passengers and throwing them overboard before they turn. Um, and that's what's really going to make things go to hell is because one person's going to be paranoid enough to be able to defend themselves both they and the murderer are going to die fighting each other in the hold. They're both going to turn into zombies. And that's what's going to effectively force the boat to run aground. That's going to be the climax. Uh, zombie outbreak on the boat caused by the people on the boat. The boat's going to the boat's going to run aground and uh, going to get completely swarmed. Uh, and that'll be uh, and so that'll that'll be the uh, and that'll be the the end because I do think these movies are more effective when there are some survivors at the end. So the handful of the survivors, the two to three characters are gonna make it out alive. The way they get out alive is while well, the zombies are swarming the boat. It crashes near a marina. They steal a sailboat, which doesn't need fuel. Cool. Yeah, see, if you put anything on a boat, it's immediately intriguing. I think that's like a, a rule. Like things on boats are better. Sometimes boats are better. Sometimes boats are better. <laughs> they buried the boat where the ground was sour. Ground was sour. You don't want to go down that road. <laughs> I'm reminded of several years ago, Conan O'Brien did a, a skit, a spoof of iRobot called iRoboat. <laughs> and a rowboat was chasing a guy around. What are the three laws of robotics? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, there has to be a body of water 
within a 3,000 foot radius. All passengers must wear life jackets. All passengers and there must, must be wear... a buoyant, a buoyant uh, vessel. Uh, how about, no, the third one should be something silly. How about there needs to be, oh, yeah. uh, there needs to be a, an old tuna sandwich somewhere within the body of the boat. Because <laughs> that's its organic it's... matter that it somehow feeds. It absorbs the 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 rotting tuna fish into its. It's the deified motor of the of the world of robot. <laughs> okay. So on that note, over to what you're watching, what you're watching, everyone's favorite segment. Uh, I have been watching more than I, I normally would lately. And I watched a film that, because uh, of HBO Max, it has the Studio Ghibli stuff on it. So I'm, I haven't oh, seen cool. all of those. Um, some are Miyazaki, some are... Uh, directed by Hayao Miyazaki and some are not and uh, I saw one that was directed by his son Goro Miyazaki and that was Tales of Earthsea have you seen this Thrasher or Alex I've heard I of it I've wanted seen to see it, it but that's because I'm reading the book right actually right now I'm oh, reading okay. the book I don't want to see it until I finish the book yeah um as I understand it's a compression of some books from the series and uh the the author who died not too long ago Ursula K Le Guin uh was so so in the movie she wasn't thrilled about it because she was promised um Hayao Miyazaki was going to do it and instead he gave the project to his son Uh, but the the English dub um has Willem Dafoe as a bad guy uh Timothy Dalton in one of the lead roles and as the bad guys number two they have Cheech Marin who does a, a really good job as a kind of toady. And I couldn't recognize it was Cheech until he said certain things, until like certain words. I'm like, oh, that's Cheech. But otherwise, I thought it was someone else the whole time. Oh, wow. And uh, yeah, so it's it's not a great movie. There's some good visuals. I, I found it kind of standard fantasy. The other one I saw yeah. was was a, a Miyazaki film I had never seen, uh, Kiki's Delivery Service. Oh, oh that's yeah, that's delightful. Movie. It's a real treat. Uh, very gentle, like uh, Totoro. I think that would be a good double feature with. And this, the English dub I watched. I normally watch Japanese with subtitles, but I was watching it with my wife, and she prefers the English stuff because she works on other things while she's it's watching. For anime, it works too because it's the the it just matches up better. It doesn't really it it doesn't take me away from anything with anime. Yeah, it it depends on the mood and the quality of the dub, I guess, for me. But this. Um, you know, it was kind of an older Miyazaki film released in the States in the 90s. But uh, Kirsten Dunst is is the lead role, and she was pretty young back then. And Phil Hartman is the voice of the cat. Uh, Kiki, what's going on? It's not a great <laughs> Phil great. Hartman performance. He does it a bit nasally, but it was fun to hear him do a role again. And, uh, yeah, yeah, he I, I, had had he not been... <sighs> murdered by his wife, he. I'm. I'm convinced he would have done some dramatic acting and and done pretty good with that because he was the real uh, uh, pinch hitter in Saturday Night Live for those years. Yeah, I yeah we would have been all up. over Pixar. Yes. Ooh, yeah, I can see. And that. he was. Uh, it, it, it's pretty common knowledge, but he was meant to be Zap Brannigan in Futurama. Yeah. And instead, Billy West had to do it. Kind of doing a Phil Hartman impression, but not really. Yeah, it's like a Shatner Hartman. 
Right. Yeah, I, I like Kiki's Delivery Service. It is probably the most gentle, wholesome movie about being a freelance artist that has ever been made. Yeah, there I, you go. I never thought of it that way, but sure, with the, with the, all the gig economy going on, uh, it's ahead of its time, and I, I think oh. it's a it's a better film than the Miyazaki. I can't say for sure if this is a Miyazaki movie, but there's the one about Tanukis, where they they fly around, they use their testicles to blow up into parachutes and fly around the woods. Oh, is that a Pompoko? Yeah. Yeah. It's a Studio Ghibli film, but he didn't direct it. Okay, okay, good. Yeah. I, that one I'm, I'm not as crazy about. Yeah, also, Kiki's Delivery Service, some of the most pornographically rendered food you will ever see in an animated work. Oh, the food is so delicious. Oh, my God. Th- that's an anime thing in general, I think. There's an obsession yeah. with, with food and, and, and some of the video games like the Yakuza series. Um in Final Fantasy 15, they render the food really well with these close-ups. It makes you want to eat your TV screen. So that's enough about my choices. Uh, Alex, how about you? Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna follow that with another anime watch, but not a very positive experience. I watched this movie called the The Silent Voice. Hmm. Um, I think you uh, heard me complain about it a little bit off mic. Um, and it seems like there's this like trend in anime now where it's like a lot of like teen dramas with like some flights of whimsy. And it's about this kid who um, in elementary school, he like bullied this like poor deaf girl around. And then as he matures later on, he, you know, has some remorse about it and tries to reconnect with her and, you know, a little romance, uh, you know, blossoms. However, you know, his other friends haven't grown up very much as, you know, haven't had the same maturity as he has. So like they're still assholes. And it's just like a very, it's like, it's, uh, it's a very obvious and a very deliberate and um, really soapy uh, like teen drama, but it just doesn't have any like substance to it. I'm like, ah, no wonder kids are so mopey these days this is what they're watching. But I, what I really lamented was that I, I just, I kind of missed the days when anime was like dangerous when you were, you know, sneaking Akira past your parents and you had ghosts in the yeah. shell and Ninja Scroll and Vampire Hunter D and, you know, cool, fun, exciting things. And with this, it's like, uh, remember there was a movie from 2016, Fireworks, and it was like this other, like, you know, teen drama, and then uh, Your Name is another, like, you know, Freaky Friday body switch drama. It's like, what happened, man? Let's Can we just have, like, some more excitement back in anime, please? I, I really miss that. Well, <laughs> well, enough of these, like... Well, that was an interesting... You're cutting out a For, bit, Thrasher. Yeah, we heard interesting. How how about now? A Any better? better? Yeah. 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 Oh, okay. So the uh so in so in the late eighties, early nineties, for for anime to come over, it had to be one of three things. It either had to be really cheap to license, or it had to be the absolute best of the best, or it had to be the absolute most extreme of the extreme. But right. of course, then it got popular. And then the crap started coming over. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> and so, like, I, I, those more extreme anime and, and stuff, that it's still, it is still out there, but you got to look harder to find it because it's it's kind of lost in the sea of Yu-Gi-Oh. Yeah, okay. All right, that's, I'll, I'll just have to do some more homework because, um, yeah, like, even something like, uh, I don't know, do you ever watch uh, Gunsmith Cats? That was another series that was pretty popular in the like, no. mid to late 90s. Mm-hmm. A long time ago, yeah. Yeah, it's basically like an anime Miami Vice, you know, it's like two, uh, you know, private eye, you know, it's just 
guns and, and crime. It's great. And I just, I would love something like that. I, you know, I would love to see like a, just some people shooting each other. <laughs> I, I agree with you, Alex, and that I'm more of a fan of like kind of a, gore, no, I am a gore hound. I'll just say that. But, uh, you know, yeah. I like the violence more than the pervy schoolgirl panty shot, jiggling booby shit like yeah. that. I, I never, uh, yeah, that it just doesn't do, uh, anything for me and I, maybe there's something in, in the culture I'm missing like there's a lot of repressed sexuality in Japanese media oh yeah but yeah. but the violence is uh certainly not and I think that's a fascinating <laughs> dichotomy um yeah it's it's strange but even like these um these contemporary movies like they like I'm glad they don't have the the weird pervy stuff um but there's just like it's like the kids that like he doesn't associate with, like there's like X's animated over their faces. And then like when he like comes to pass, like the X's fall off. It's like, oh, come on. Like, this is so lame. So a little it's on like, the nose. Yeah. yeah. yeah or or what like, characters getting a bloody nose or they always do the pose with the hand behind head behind the hand and scratching it. Like, right. You just notice these kind of things that go over and over again. Um, yeah. If you want if you like kind of the more action anime, did you ever watch Berserk? Yes, I actually I got that at a yard sale for two dollars. I got the wow. entire thing. Hell of a the deal. Kit and caboodle. It was great. Yeah. And and they have a newer series of Berserk that's like three seasons that I've heard uses a mixture of hand drawn and CG. Uh, oh, very cool. And they did a trilogy of OVA movies um, that retold the story of the anime pretty much, but with pretty high, but they were theatrical films. They were pretty oh, high nice. quality animation and the way they portray, uh, it's not hell. I, I don't know what they call it, but like this demon world thing that's near the end of that storyline, uh, is, uh, quite, uh, extreme. Excellent. Okay. So yeah, I feel like that. Did you ever see Berserk Thrasher? I can't remember. I'm sure we talked uh, about I, it in college. I have not seen the anime, but I've read the manga. Well, the manga makes the anime look like a Disney cartoon. Well, <laughs> again, the most extreme of the extreme. Yeah. And I mean, that's a manga that's still going on. I think still done by the original artist. Is that right? Uh, that I don't know. I haven't kept up with it, so I'm not sure. But there's dozens and dozens of those books. Like it, the guy who, who created it, um, I, I don't have his name. My internet's kind of flaky right now. But he, he wrote and drew it and he won it as part of like a fan contest. And then it became popular, I believe. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so anyhow, cool, cool. Yeah, no, I should get into anime more. It's been a while. Uh, Thrasher. So I've been uh, I've been trying to watch some stuff that's that's Living Dead uh, adjacent uh, for this. So I dug back into obscure, obscure uh, '80s television, and I watched the Night of the Living Dead episode of Mad Movies with the LA Connection, which I think I've talked about the show uh, before uh, on Sequel Cast too. Movie. Sure. Um, any thoughts about it, or? Well, j just that, like, I, I, like one, it's like it's an episode that can only exist because of the weird copyright status of the movie. But like, it's, it's, it, it makes me appreciate things like riff tracks more, which I think has done Not of the Living Dead three different ways at three different times. <laughs> but because like 
Because the whole the whole premise of uh, Mad Moves the L.A. Connection is the L.A. Connection is an L.A.-based improv comedy troupe. It's where a lot of the writers for um, A Pup Named Scooby-Doo, Tiny Toons, uh, and uh, Animaniacs got started. Uh, but they they would do these nights where they would play a movie with the soundtrack off and they would improvise dialogue for the movie and they turned it into a TV show in the 80s that ran on, uh, that was first syndicated and then ran on uh, Nick at Night. And uh, for the purposes of the show, they cut the movie down to less than a half hour. They cut the movie down way too short. That's one problem. There's yeah. like, there's so much to work with in the movie. They cut it on way too short to make way to to make room for intros, outros, an interview, and a short film. They don't really need to do that. Uh, but then. But then the other thing, like they have a solid, because that's one thing is they do try to, with their new dialogue, create a consistent narrative. And the conceit for the narrative is actually pretty clever. The people in the house are people who wanted to have a quiet dinner party, but too many people heard about it and are trying to get in. So the zombies are party guests trying to get in. And the people inside, the drama is they're trying to find a way to sit and feed this many people. And there's a surprising <laughs> amount of things where people mess with dishes in the movie. They use every scene where there's a dish. But like there's but there's just not much there's just not much going on. Um there's there's only like they they because because the, the main woman character spends most of the most of the movie passed out, even in the scenes they use like the the one female member of the LA connection has almost nothing to do the only, honestly the only thing that really works is when the guy dubbing uh dubbing the black guy just starts calling people honky <laughs> I'm looking up the episodes right now Outpost of Morocco um they do a shock the Vincent Price one yeah, they do the born. Inspector General with Danny Kay. Most of the movies either are fell into the public domain or have ambiguous copyrights, and that's why they were able to do yeah. it. And also, why they weren't able to do any more, uh, because as I understand it, the show was profitable, but it was just too hard to find the movies. Yeah, I'm seeing a lot of like film noirs that you see in those like film noir connections, like DOA and The Stranger. They like come in those DVD connections that are, or collections that are like 100 movies for five dollars, and and they all look like someone just like shit on the film yeah. and ran it through a paper shredder. And with the horror one, Night of the Living Dead was like the only like sellable. You know, it was like usually Night of the Living Dead and like the Corman's um, Little House, the Little Shop of Horrors were always like two of the big featured ones, and the rest of them were just you know, you know, it pooped in outer space or something. So, so I guess what I'm saying is this isn't what I should have watched. <laughs> well i mean oh well you can't win them all so on that note uh let's do sequel scene which which did you pick in this because it uh, as one review of this movie i read it's this movie is just people screaming the entire time right so yeah this is a. Uh, so this is shortly after the beginning when the helicopter uh returns to the base and uh Private Steele, one of the guards, is wanting is immediately wanting a report for their for their mission because you find out they were out they were deliberately out trying to look for survivors and trying to make contact with other uh, with maybe other military facilities. Mm. And characters we've got Private Steele, we got Mc... we've also got oh Rickles and Salazar. Okay, um, I'll be. 
It's doing the Skype gremlins. We sound like robots. That's fine. Wait, wait. Private seal, what you find? Nothing. Um, I'll, I'll do McDermott. You'll do McDermott. I'll do steel. I'll do, I'll do Okay. Great. So. Is there a Miguel? Is there a Miguel? There is. But nobody's taken the role yet. I'll do Rickles, though. I'll, I'll do Miguel as well. I'll do Steel okay, and Miguel. Okay. Great. Hey, what you find? Nothing. Nothing. How far up the coast did you go? 100 miles each way. Ah, jeez. Hey, jump in here, soldier. Why? Orders. We got to bring two more dumb fucks. Let's go. Two more? What's Logan doing down in there? Get in here, soldier. We've just returned from a patrol. He's been awake for nearly 24 hours. Can't you get anyone else? What anyone else? There is no one else. We're it. And scene. So my attempt to do Private Rickles as Don Rickles, I think I was foiled. <laughs> I, I almost thought you were trying to do Bugs Bunny or something. I don't know. But you didn't sound like Bugs Bunny either. I, I did think of Don Rickles when I watched this movie, though. Because, I mean, yes. Rickles. I, that has to be a shout out, I believe. Yeah, or Rickles Me Elmo. Yep. Um, <laughs> Rickles, your fancy. Uh, so <laughs> we, yeah, so it's it's time to do our plugs. But yeah, I mean, Day of the Dead, we'll, we'll see. Some of these films coming up, I haven't seen, you know. Uh, I've never seen Land of the Dead before. Uh, Diary of the Dead is the only dead film I've seen in a theater. And Survival of the Dead barely got a theatrical release at all. Yeah, I haven't seen any of these either, yeah. So it'll be an interesting trip uh, to the bottom. I always compare uh, you know, sequel cast two to a slide. You start at the top, meaning the first movie is usually the best, and then it goes downhill. But you, why do you do it? You do it for those surprise bumps that launch you in the air. Oh, yeah. Yes, indeed. Speaking of bumps, uh, at the end, we're plugging stuff. Uh, follow me on Twitter at M-A-T-W-B-T. Um, I've been doing some pieces for film inquiry lately. I have a review up of a movie I didn't like very much called Black Ops, um, about Black Ops people uh, stuck in an infinite loop on a staircase. Um, quite odd. I'm not. I'm not making this up. Uh, yeah, it does not sound good. Yeah, so you can check that out <laughs> at filminquiry.com. You can buy my books at uh, amazon.com like the film to Uwe Boll volume one and uh, simply the best interviews with game designers, composers, and scoflaws. Uh, Thrasher. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at internet mayor. Also, uh, I am uh, helping to coordinate an online convention for charity. So if you like tabletop role-playing games, July 24th to July 26th in the year 2020. Uh, I'm one of the uh, organizers for KettleCon 1, the return of the curse of the Creatures Con. Uh, what we're doing is uh, we are trying to raise money for a couple of charities. We all, uh, Specifically, uh, the Bail Project, the Trevor Project, the American Civil Liberties Union, Game to Grow, and the Wikimedia Foundation. And so what we're doing is, if you want to, we're going to have a bunch of different GMs running a bunch of different games. And so the idea is, for every $5 you donate to one of these charities, you know, just send us a copy of the receipt. And for every $5 you donate, you can get a spot on one of our games. 
And we're going to have a bunch of different games. We're going to have, let me see, uh, we're going to have Warhammer 40,000 Wrath and Glory. We're going to have Star Wars, Cobalt's 8, My Baby, uh, a Paranoia, Fading Suns. Uh, so also some experimental uh, games like, uh, like Firelight. And also, we're also going to have, uh, we have a special thing. If you donate $50, we will run a game on demand for you and up to five of your friends. So if you want to be really generous and also there's some obscure game you never get to play, $50, we will make that happen. Uh, if you want more uh, information about this, you can look for the Kettle of Fish Productions uh, uh, Facebook page. We'll be posting a lot of information about it there. Also, at Internet Mayor, uh, I will be posting uh, links to the registration page on my Twitter feed. Uh, just look for uh, KettleCon. We'll probably do a KettleCon hashtag. Uh but it it should be really fun. We're we're just you know hoping to help out with these charities while we can, and also help people uh, get in on the gaming that they would have otherwise missed uh, this summer due to the pandemic. I love that. Does Kettle of Fish have a Twitter account? Uh, not currently. We are thinking of setting one up, but it's that's if if I say what the at is, I bet it's already taken. So when we have one, we will talk about it on the show. Very good, Alex. Um, you can find me on the Twitter at CrabNebula1914, and um, I also have a YouTube channel called The Trailer Project. It, uh, it evolved from uh, you know trailer commentaries of uh, various movies of my choosing, with also some um, kind of weird freewheeling uh, visual essays. Um, you know, uh, for instance, there's a um, the magic of flight in film set to Pink Floyd's Adam Hart Mother. Um, there's a like a half hour one about um, uh, retro spiritualism and um, images of religion in television, and um, yeah, and some other fun, silly stuff. Um, a uh, Mondo Macabo uh, volume I've started called uh, Mondo Macabo. There's an Asian mixtape, uh, Asian Madness mixtape, and a um, creepy commercial mashup compilation. So check that out if you're in uh, the mood for something a little weird and a little different. But it's uh, it's a good time. Yeah, sounds sounds like a lot of fun. You've been working hard on those. I didn't understand a lot of the words you just said, but I, I'm sure they're good videos. <laughs> so for um, uh, leave us a five star review on Apple Podcast app. Uh, the more reviews we get, the better we do with the rankings. So any little bit helps. And uh, yeah, the website to get the episodes at sequelcast2.com. You can also hear us on Stitcher at stitcher.com. And we recently were added to Spotify. I'm not sure why people listen to podcasts on Spotify, but it's on there. So for um, Sequel Cast 2, this is Matt. This is Thrasher. This is Alex. Saying, Welcome to Paradise. <laughs> <laughs>